Good morning. As Adam mentioned, my name is Nathaniel. I'm part of the team here at BPCC, and it is uh, my privilege today to be opening up this passage from God's Word, which we just heard. Uh, I'm excited to share with you about how it is encouraging and relevant and useful for us as Christians today. But first, will you join me in a word of prayer as we ask that God, by His Spirit, will apply this to our hearts and help us grow closer to and more like Him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the the privilege we have of coming together in a time uh, in your word, Lord, as we uh, delve into this passage and and think about what it means for us through what you have done for us. Lord, we ask that you will uh, guide our hearts and our minds as we we, uh, listen, Lord, and as I speak, that you will use me, Lord, um, that you will guide my words, and you will will guide all of our hearts, uh, that we will grow to be more and more like you, Lord, that we will have a deeper understanding of and appreciation of you and what you've done for us. We ask this in your name. Amen. Now, many of you know Hayden Smith. Hayden is part of our team here at BPCC. Uh, He's a youth worker, he's drums, he's been drumming this morning, and he's managed to feature in a few sermon illustrations already. What you may not know is that Hayden is well known in our young adults group for being incredibly skilled at cheating at every game he plays. He has a remarkable ability. He will cheat. He will find a way to cheat. And I'm not just using this sermon to throw shade at Hayden. Uh, He's actually very proud of this. If you have a chat to Hayden after the service, uh, you'll hear the many ways he's managed to cheat in card games, uh, very boldly, too. Now, after a few years of experience and irritation, because I like winning according to the rules, uh, I've learned a couple of ways to navigate uh, the challenge of playing card games with Hayden. One of the key things to do is to very clearly and carefully define the rules that you're going to be playing with before you start playing. For example, UNO. You need to specify the specific, specific rules of UNO first, uh, whether you're allowed to put draw fours on draw twos or vice versa, whether you can finish on an action card, whether you can use wild cards to swap hands with people sometimes. Uh, You need to figure out which of the the many rules which only seem to exist in Hayden's mind that you you want to use for that particular game, because my good friend Hayden has a tendency to pick and choose which rules he wants to use as he sees fit to suit whatever hand he has at the time. Now, I'm bringing this up because many people today think that Christians have a similar approach to the Bible. One of the most common critiques of Christianity is that Christians seem hypocritical, that we'll pick and choose which parts of the Bible we want to take seriously. You've probably heard this before, or maybe you aren't a Christian, and this is one reason why, that it's hypocritical to take New Testament commands around sexuality or or giving or church discipline seriously, but then to ignore a bunch of Old Testament commands like the ones we just heard around eating. Today, I'm going to unpack this passage from Deuteronomy chapter 14 and and show us how it is helpful and it is relevant for us today. It points us towards Jesus and helps us to understand who God is and how we can relate to Him. And I've picked this particular passage because it's one which I've seen referred to as proof of Christian hypocrisy. Also, it's a a family-friendly one which all of us here can engage with. 
Now, as we look at Deuteronomy 14, I want to show you some of the basic tools and principles that we will use to unpack any passage of the Bible, because we don't pick or choose which ones we're going to take seriously, and we don't treat some completely differently to, to others with totally different rules. We've, each part of the Bible comes in its own context, and, and we approach it using the same basic rules of interpretation, the same lenses, uh, which I'm going to explain to you today. Now, we've got a lot to do in 25 minutes, so I'm going to be referring on to some other helpful resources as we go. Now, every person approaches life uh, and the Bible with their own set of lenses, the lenses of their background and experiences, and, and this is like a lens which filters what you see, much like the, the glasses that I'm wearing now. If we want to understand what the Bible says, if we want to understand what the Bible is, is trying to say to us and how God is trying to speak to us through it, we need to understand the lenses which it was originally meant to be read through. This means that we first need to look at the Bible through the lens of context. Any time that we approach any passage in the Bible, we need to ask three key questions. Who, what, and why? These questions help us to understand the context and the passage correctly. And the context lens is about these three questions. So who, understanding who the passage was written to, uh, who the, the original hearers of this part of the Bible were, is really crucial to understanding what it means. We can't just pick up our Bible, choose a random verse, and then read it as if it's a text message we just got from God. For example, take the, the many commands that are in the book of Deuteronomy, which is where our passage came from. They're commands given by God to his people, the Israelites, in the desert wilderness. God isn't giving a series of timeless moral statements for all people at all times. He's speaking to a group of ex-slaves who have no experience governing themselves. They've just left a particularly godless Egyptian empire and he's giving them a structure for governance and society for their culture at their time. And we need to know this when we read Deuteronomy. It's a really helpful book. It's a really encouraging book. But we need to understand who the book was first written to. Now, you don't need to memorize the context and cultures of every book in the Bible at, at every point in, in the history of the Bible. That info is actually really easy to get. One of the best tools a Christian can have is a study Bible. A study Bible has heaps of helpful notes and comments which can help you to understand what you're reading. This one here is my ESV study Bible. Uh, I'm, I'm a visual learner, so I really love the fact that there's diagrams and pictures all through it. You can also find introductions to each of the books of the Bible with this, this context in the Bible app. So if you have, a, have the Bible app, you just tap on the book, and then in where the chapters are, you see the little eye at the top left-hand side there? You can tap on that, and you get a description of what the book is saying and, and what the context of the book is as well. And our passage refers to this really important context in verse 1. We heard, you are the children of the Lord your God. Do not cut yourselves or, or shave the front of your heads for the dead, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Now, that cutting selves and shaving for the front of your head, that's referring to things which other people around did when they were mourning. Uh, Self-mutilation, shaving certain parts of the body, uh, that was part of pagan worship at the time, uh, especially worshipping the 
pagan gods of the dead. References to that are found in, in other texts from other cultures at the time. God says not to use these, these pagan worship rituals because his people are to worship him. Again, you can get that info easily. If you have a, a study Bible, uh, that'll probably be like in, in mine, in the footnotes uh, of your Bible there, which are full of all sorts of handy information which help us to approach the passage we're reading. So the second question we want to ask after who is what? What is the passage saying? Is it describing something that has happened or commanding an instruction or law that must be followed? Our passage uh, focuses on instructions for the Israelites on which animals they're allowed to eat and farm, and we have that mention at the start about not using pagan death worship rituals. But many parts of the Bible are descriptions, not direct instructions. They're useful and teach us about God and, and often show us helpful principles for living. But when the Bible describes the Israelites wandering around in the desert for 40 years, it's not a command that we should also go and wander around in the Sinai desert for, for 40 years, as appealing as it sounds to leave Australia for a little bit. We also want to know what else is happening around this passage. The, the context of the passage itself is really important. For our passage, uh, it comes just after Deuteronomy 13, uh, that, that heap of instructions uh, which, which God's people are being given on how to live in their new community. Um, it's, the passage before is all about following God only, not following other gods. And this passage builds on it by giving some outward signs of what it, what it means to, to, to look like a distinct people of God, people who are only following the one true God. And then the passage after it gives more instructions on what it looks like to be a distinct people of God who follow only God uh, in how, to use, how the Israelites were to use their wealth to give back to God. And that third question in, in the context lens says, why? Why was this passage written? What's, what's the motivation for it being put down there? Uh, why did the original audience need to hear it? How does it add to the book and, and what does it do? Why is it there? Helpfully, our passage actually answers that question for us. At the start and at the end, it says that God makes these rules because he wants his people to be holy to the Lord your God. Holy to the Lord your God, meaning he wants them to be his special people, people who only follow him, not, not other gods. And the connection between God and his people is remarkable. At the start, it says, you are children of the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. We're used to this language because it's common today, but for people then, this was remarkably different. In a world where gods were seen as indifferent or cruel, and, and people's relationship to their gods was like a, like a slave or a servant, for the God of Israel to say that he chose his people, and that he makes them his children, and that he treasures them, that's incredible news uh, in, in the culture of the time. The God of the Bible cares about his special people, and he wants them to be different. So he gives them a sign of the fact that they are different. This list of foods which are symbolically clean, like his people were to be clean. He instructs them to only eat and interact with these foods. Now, some people have observed that the unclean animals on the list are also the mo most likely to cause poisoning or disease or, or even death. 
But whether or not these laws had sanitary benefits to them isn't the point. The point is that God is giving His special people a special sign that they had to follow, which makes them distinct from the other people around who weren't following Him. So, understanding this through the context lens, we can summarize the meaning of Deuteronomy as God claims His people as distinct, He gives them clean and unclean foods as an expression of the fact that they are different from other nations around them. However, I'm not an Israelite living in the Promised Land in 1400 BC. Also, I eat a lot of pork, like I love pork belly, which is on the unclean list. So, what does that mean for me? Well, there's a vital step that we need to take with every passage of the Bible before we can go applying it straight to to our lives today. And that second step is the Jesus lens. The whole Bible, the, the entire story of the Bible is focused on Jesus. It tells the story of God's plan to save a world broken by human sin. It shows us who God is and and who we are and ultimately points us to Jesus as the only way that we can be saved from this world broken by human sin. And so when we read descriptions of events which came before Jesus, we need to look at them through the Jesus lens. If I take my glasses off, I can't see very much. Right now, you're all an indistinct blur with, with a couple of bright patches if you're wearing bright clothes. I need to have my glasses on to to see clearly, to to actually be able to see the details in this room ahead of me beyond about 30 centimetres away from my face. And in much the same way, we could only see the general blurs of meaning in the Bible if we don't look at them through a Jesus lens, because they're written and designed to be seen as part of the bigger picture of God's story of salvation. And that's particularly essential when we're looking at passages in the Old Testament, which were written before Jesus and point forward to Him. Now, I know this, I know that this is true of of the whole Bible and how it's meant to be read, because Jesus says so. In fact, we saw Jesus Himself say this uh, in our sermon series in Luke earlier on in the year. Luke 24, verse 27 on the road to Emmaus, Jesus says, it says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them, him being Jesus, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And then again in verse 44, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. And these aren't the only two verses. All through the Gospels, we see Jesus explaining this about the Bible and and unpacking the Old Testament in light of this. And large sections of of the New Testament letters are all about unpacking what happened in the Old Testament through uh, the lens of Jesus. But that doesn't mean that, that everything that happened here, all these commands and instructions, just disappear because of Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, "'Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and prophets.'" Uh, the Old Testament books, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So that means that when we look at any part of the Bible, we want to ask, how does this part of the Bible, how does this passage point to Jesus? Did Jesus do anything which affects our reading of this passage? Now, the Bible often does this for us, 
as I mentioned, a lot of the New Testament is about showing how the Old Testament points us to Jesus. So is there anything else in the Bible which specifically adds onto this passage or theme? It would be really time-consuming to trawl through the whole Bible to find other references every single time we have a question. There's a lot of words in the Bible. Now, fortunately, other Christians throughout the last 2,000 years of church history have already done that for us, have trawled through the Bible and, and carefully looked for every connection, every, every point. And that's another really great reason to, to use a study Bible, because in the notes on a study Bible, it points out significant passages, passages on the topic. So in the margins up there on the right-hand side on my one, that's a photo of this page in my study Bible, it's got all these cross-references, a list of verses that you can go to where those themes or those ideas continue being unpacked. And down the bottom in, in the footnotes, there's also heaps of helpful references onto the rest of the Bible. Our passage is actually quite an easy one because there's a lot in the Bible which specifically unpacks this. Uh, we recently wrapped up our sermon series on Acts, Acts chapter 1 to 7. Next year, we're going to jump into the next section of Acts, and that includes Acts chapter 10, which has a, a story which specifically speaks to the commands around food, which we just read in, in Deuteronomy 14. Now, I'm not going to spoil that too much for you, but in summary, God tells Peter, uh, one of the, the leading apostles, to eat unclean foods from this list, and then shows him that this was a sign of, of welcoming in non-Jews to be Christians, to be followers of Jesus. Opening up the diet was a symbol of how God was going to welcome in all nations and all cultures without, having, without, without them having to become Jewish in, in their culture. So having this, this distinction, these, these food distinctions, was a way of God showing his people that they were separate and different from the world around because they were following him. And then through Jesus, it opens up to all people that the promises which, which are found in God, the salvation which can be found in Jesus. And that has a massive impact on how we read Deuteronomy 14. God cares about having a people who are clean from sin, but he has removed the symbolic requirements around unclean animals as a sign that through Jesus, all people can come to know God. Now, that's great news for me because I love bacon, but that is awesome news for all of us because most of us aren't Jewish, but we can become a part of God's people anyway. Now, as I mentioned, Deuteronomy 14 is a bit of an easier one because it covers a topic which is explained in detail later on in the Bible. But there are some tricky passages which the Bible doesn't directly unpack. So it's very helpful for us to understand the whole story of the Bible and how it all fits together. If you want to understand the, the story of the Bible and get a, a better grasp of how it all works, the best way to do that is to read it, to read through the Bible regularly. It's like moving into a new area. The best way to get to know the area is to hop in your car or, or put on your shoes and, and walk outside and, and walk or drive around the area. You, you get to know it by being in it. There are some helpful roadmaps, uh, sort of like Google Maps is really helpful for getting you places for the first time, which can help you to navigate the Bible. Uh, I highly recommend this little book, God's Big Picture, gives an awesome intro or two, an overview of how the Bible fits together. Or another really handy short read is, is What is Biblical Theology, uh, which is similar, but it's focused on how we can understand the themes and the images which the Bible often uses. 
Now, these are helpful roadmaps, but they're there to help us navigate the Bible, to help us get to know the Bible and find our way around the Bible. They don't replace it as the way which God speaks to us. So, now that we've looked into what the passage meant then and how it fits into the, the big picture of the Bible, we've got some clear lessons which have a lot of relevance for our lives. For many Bible passages, especially those in the New Testament, it's a lot simpler to apply, it's a lot easier to understand the context and, and then approach it through the Jesus lens. But for some tricky passages, we do need some help. But we do treat the whole Bible consistently. None of it's thrown away. None of it is ignored. Some parts are particularly useful for common situations we run into, but none of it is useless. All of it is there because God wants it there. So when we encounter passages which we don't understand, which does and then will happen, it's okay not to have the answer straight away. When that happens, we can first pray. This is God's Word, and God uses it to speak to us through His Spirit, so we can ask Him to help us understand it by the power of the Spirit. We can use those resources which I've mentioned. A good study Bible is such a great place to start. If you don't have one, I really recommend it. You can ask a friend, sit down with a Christian friend and talk it through. Or if you're still stuck, come and talk to one of the team. Uh, we love talking about what the Bible is and, and how it is helpful and, and useful for our lives today. And we'll have other handy resources to dig into if, if it seems a bit unclear. And growing your understanding of the Bible is really worth investing time into, whether that's reading some books or um, whether that's uh, going and, and doing some more intentional study in the Bible. Uh, I really recommend uh, going along to a Bible college if you've got the time and, and energy to invest into that. You can do a short course or, or do part-time or take a, take a gap year, or you can just also go along and, and attend lectures and not have to do the assessment, which is, which is called auditing. If you want to go along to a Bible college and, and grow your understanding of the Bible, you could come and have a chat to one of the team, and we'll give you a recommendation for a, for a trustworthy one around in the area. You could even end up studying with some of our team or someone else from church. So we, we've seen in Deuteronomy 14 that God claimed the Israelites as a distinct people. He gave them clean and unclean foods as an expression of that fact that they were different from the people around them. And through, we've looked through the passage with a Jesus lens, and, and we have a clear picture of how to apply it to our own lives. To summarize Deuteronomy 14 through a Jesus lens, God cares about having a people who are, who are spiritually pure. Through Jesus, He makes us part of, our, part of His people, and He makes us clean from sin. So now we can apply that to our lives through the today lens, which is the final lens to look at the Bible through. That's really encouraging and challenging for our lives today, that God cares about having a people who are spiritually pure, and that through Jesus, He makes us part of His people. It's encouraging because through Jesus, God has claimed us. He has cleaned us from sin. And it's challenging because God cares about having a people who are clean, and that should shape the way that we live our lives in response to Him. Anyone who's not Jewish is, is a Gentile, that, that's a word which describes being a non-Jew. And in the book of Ephesians, all Gentiles like us get this powerful encouragement. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners 
to covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Through Jesus, God closed that gap between himself and us, not because of anything we need to do, but because of his love for us. He found us. He has claimed us as his people, and he offers us salvation through Jesus. So when we read those food laws in Deuteronomy 14, we can be deeply encouraged because they're symbolic of the barrier which has been removed through Jesus. God wants to have a special people. He finds his people and he claims them as his treasured possession. And he instructs them to be different to the world around, to, to, which does not follow him. So if you're a Christian, you are God's treasured possession. The maker of the universe has claimed you and, and treasures you as his child. And he wants you to follow him, not, not chase after other things. So how do we do that? Well, as we heard, it's not by avoiding pork, but the Bible does give clear direction on a life which pleases God. And with these same basic principles, you can pick up the Bible and, and read it through the, the context lens and the Jesus lens and the today lens. If you're not a Christian, then God is offering you a chance to be part of his people. Through Jesus, he reaches out with a free offer of adoption. Without him, we can't fix the sin which is within all of us. We can't fix that brokenness which is in the world. But he freely offers to take that penalty. In him, we can find forgiveness and, and be made clean forever. But in that, there's also a challenge for our lives because God cares about having a people who are distinct, who, who don't follow the world around but follow him. And the world around us is really quite tempting. It's full of enticing offers to reject the way that God made us to live and instead to live in whichever way we find most immediately pleasurable. Following Jesus means choosing to live the way that God made us to, not just because it's going to be the best thing for us, but as a response of love and obedience to the God who has saved us. And that means putting God's will above our pleasure, choosing to view our finances as resources which we can use wisely for the, for the good of others and for God's kingdom, not just as a way of getting a thrill or making ourselves more comfortable than we need. Choosing to view sexuality in a way which sees it as a beautiful gift from God designed to be used in the context of marriage. Choosing to view our spare time as a chance to deepen our relationship with our loving Father instead of just scrolling through social media or watching a show. Choosing to see our relationships as opportunities to share the good news of Jesus with other people who aren't following him. In all, choosing to respond to the greatest gift of all time by putting God above our own desires. That's not a way of paying God back, but a response of love to love. So I hope that you're encouraged and challenged by the powerful meaning that we can find in Deuteronomy chapter 14. At first, it seems like just a bunch of random food laws with overly specific animals. But when we dig into it, it shows us how God cares about his people. He claims them and he wants them to be pure and different from the culture around. And that through Jesus, he makes us part of his people 
and He makes us clean from the sin which has broken our world. I hope that you're excited and, and empowered to dig into the Bible yourself with this same consistent approach. I hope that that answers any questions you might have about whether Christians are hypocritical in the way that we, we handle the Bible. And I hope that you're ready to dig into other passages with the context lens and the Jesus lens and then the today lens. Because all of the Bible is God's word. And through it, he grows all of us as his treasured possession.